And Elihu continued and said, Do you think this is according to due justice? Do you say my righteousness is more than God's? For you say, What advantage will it be to you? What profit will I have more than if I sin? So, this is what he's saying Job was saying. My righteousness is more than God's. And what advantage will it be to you? What profit will I have more than if I had sinned? You know, um, so is is that a fair statement of Job's position? I'm not sure that really reflects. Job may say some things that border on that. But I'm not sure Job would really come down and say, I think I'm more righteous than God. I don't think that's, that, that's probably taking a couple of his more rash statements and, and pushing them too far. That, that's something that happens, I think, a lot of times in arguments. You look for the most extreme statements, stretch them a little more, and try to argue against that, and, and claim the person is saying that. Does it really help in an argument to exaggerate or distort the person's argument, the person's view? Certainly not if you're trying to convince them. I mean, you know, you... you Only in the public opinion. Right. Maybe maybe your side will cheer you on. But as far as, you know, trying to persuade somebody, you know, distorting their arguments or, or their position really doesn't help. I think it's really important for us to try to be accurate and fair when we're trying to uh, show somebody where they're wrong. I think overall, Elihu hasn't done bad with Job in that. I think this may not be such a... a good statement of Job's position. At any rate, he's going to answer this, and uh, there's some good things and some bad things, I think, in his answer. Uh, so let's take it a step at a time, four through eight. Elihu's trying to answer what Job says. What he says, what he Job says. says. Job. He's trying to answer what he characterizes as Job's position as he's more righteous than God. It's similar trying to catch somebody in an yes. argument. Yes. You know, by you know, if they say the wrong word or make a mistake, you know, then you use that as yes. what you argue against. Well, big deal. I mean, I know what I meant and you can argue against that all day long and I'll agree with you because that's not If you want to have a fair argument with someone and a really profitable discussion and persuade them, I've sometimes told somebody you know, if, if you say something you realize later that it wasn't the right thing to say, just say so and we'll go on. You know, I'm not going to hold you to every single statement you make, you know, because sometimes as we're discussing things, we may not state ourselves clearly or we may start thinking something is not quite accurate and then we realize it's not. So we don't have to just, you know, every statement we make is going to have to be defended, you know, I want, I, you know. I'll be fair about that. Uh, it's much better. I mean, again, what have you proven to the person if, if all you do is crucify them for some unfortunate word choice? Right. So. And Job doesn't try to argue with him here, though, or say that's not what I do. Job does not speak. Yeah, he does not respond to Elihu at all. Even though it looks like he's sort of being misrepresented. Well, he's not being misrepresented nearly as bad as the friends did. You know, or it's hacked nearly as much. I, I mean, and Job just doesn't speak anymore. So, I mean, we don't really know exactly what Job felt or thought about Elihu. And that's the, I think the hardest thing about Elihu is no one ever makes a reference to him after this. That just makes it very difficult. 
it is unusual. And so that's, I think, one reason, man, the commentators are everywhere on Elihu. I mean, I read some that they think Elihu is worse than the friends, practically. And then I read some that think he's nearly everything he says is right. And I'm closer to thinking he's right than wrong. I think he's helpful. Uh, but I didn't used to think that. <laughs> but it's hard to know because you don't have a commentary on this. And nobody really responds to even know what they took out of it. And it's not so easy to understand what Elihu's trying to say. I don't think he's nearly as clear as the others are. I mean, the others are clear partially because they are just so extreme in what they say. So it makes it clearer. Elihu is less extreme in my view, but he's muddier. At least for my, for my reading of him. And I, to me, that I, I still come back to well, Elihu has some positive contributions. There's some things he's added that's useful, and he's not as extreme. But humans can only go so far. I mean, how is Elihu or any other man really going to be able to give much of an explanation? Nobody knew what happened. So anything anybody says is probably going to be way off. Isn't that true with a lot of things we try to answer? You know, how many things do we get in the middle of and try to explain? We haven't a clue. You wonder how many times the Lord looks at us, shakes his head, and thinks, if you only knew. <laughs> but we want to answer everything. I struggle with the same thing. You know, you, you want to have the answer for every Bible passage and every conundrum and riddle that occurs in the universe? We don't have that. <laughs> and, and we just make ourselves look dumb before the Lord, I think, at, at least, uh, if we try. Well, four to eight. I will answer you and your friends with you. Look at the heavens and see, and behold the clouds, they are higher than you. If you have sinned, what do you accomplish against him? And if your transgressions are many, what do you do to him? If you are righteous, what do you give to him? Or what does he receive from your hand? Your wickedness is for a man like yourself, and your righteousness is for a son of man. Now, I think I understand what he's saying here. And... I don't think he's totally right about this. Uh, now, I think he's trying to some extent say God is not partial. He's above that. But what he ends up saying is God is so high that my sins don't hurt him and my righteousness doesn't help him. <clears throat> that God is, it's kind of like whatever I do, it just kind of affects me. It really doesn't affect God. Because and, and, and maybe he's trying in part by that to say, you know, you can't sway God because God's not effective, then he's going to be totally objective. Well, God is totally objective. I'll buy that. But I don't think we ought to see God as so high and exalted that nothing we do ever bothers him or makes him happy. You know, I think we get that impression sometimes. We, we stress how great God is but we don't stress how near he's come to us. And so to me, he is sacrificing some of the closeness God has to us to try to preserve his, you know, exaltedness and his impartiality. And the fact that God speaks at the end of this, I think shows God is a lot more concerned about all this than what Elihu thinks. Thoughts and comments? Okay, uh, how about 9 to uh, 
see, 9 to 16 is where we've got. Because of the multitude of oppressions, they cry out. They cry for help because of the arm of the mighty. But no one says, where is God my maker? Who gives songs in the night? Who teaches us more than the beasts of the earth and makes us wiser than the birds of the heavens? There they cry out, but he does not answer because of the pride of evil men. Surely God will not listen to an empty cry, nor will the Almighty regard it. How much less when you say you do not behold him. The case is before him, and you must wait for him. And now, because he has not visited in his anger, nor has he acknowledged transgression well. So Job opens his mouth emptily. He multiplies words without knowledge. Okay. Um, there's some good things in this, I think. Um, there are a lot of people who cry out to God. Why? Christians. Yeah. Uh, you know, things are bad. <laughs> they're, they're in pain, so they cry out. But what do they not do? Yeah, they don't seek him. They're not interested in really being close to God. They're just in pain. Well, when people cry out from oppression but not to seek God, what can we expect from the Lord? Like the judges. Yeah, that's right. He you know. says, I'm not going to come rescue you. Yeah, he did not answer. Because of the pride of evil men. He won't listen to an empty cry. Uh, there, that, I mean, all of that is certainly accurate stuff. I mean, it's that God doesn't respond to self-centered prayer. You know, you can't manipulate God. You know, so if you don't want God except you want him to bail you out every time you get in trouble, well, I mean, what kind of a low God it would be that would allow himself to be used like that? God is not like that. He sees through that very easily. And uh, so, I mean, that is, there, there's a lot of people like that. Um, uh, that's not exactly Job, however, in my judgment. I mean, for one thing, think about how much God, Job was seeking God before any of these things ever happened. How he was offering sacrifices every day that his children got together and, you know, for whatever inadvertent sins they might have committed or whatever. So it's really not true for Job that he just seeks God in oppression. And I think that's what he really is hoping for Job to get out of this. So it's a good statement in and of itself. It's misapplied when it's applied to Job. Uh, he says, and now, um, how, how, well, how much less, verse 14, when you say that you do not behold him? You know, and so, I mean, God's not going to answer the self-centered, much less is he going to answer you when you're so uh, rash in what you say toward God. Uh, he opens his mouth emptily, multiplies words without knowledge. Uh, he's really concerned about the things Job said about God, and how can he expect God to answer him with that? Um, again, look at the emphasis of Elihu. Better than the friends in that he's not so much focusing on whatever sin may have caused the sufferings. He's more focusing on the sins that were caused by the sufferings. He's more concerned about Job said some rash things. And certainly did. Job definitely said some wrong things. I think he's too strong in what he's saying about Job's position. I don't think Job was ever just crying out because it hurt, but otherwise he didn't care about God. So I think Elihu says some good things. He misapplies some of this when he's trying to say this as Job. Comments and thoughts? 
Was chapter 35 <coughs> the answer to uh, verse 9 in chapter 33? Yes. That he says, I'm innocent? Yes. Yeah, I think so, basically. Uh, there's no guilt in me. And, uh, you know, therefore he's upset with God. Uh, my righteousness is more than God's. I mean, that's basically saying I'm innocent. So, yes, I think so. All right. He's not visited in his anger, nor has he acknowledged transgression. Well, that's God. Yeah, I mean, it may be that because God hasn't yet thrown the book at Job totally, <laughs> you know, then Job just keeps talking against God. So, in other words, because God hasn't killed Job right. yet, he's still right. able to complain. Right, exactly. exactly. That's where I would take that. Other thoughts? Well, Elihu's last speech is his longest, uh, encompassing 36 and 37. And uh, Elihu has been pretty long-winded to date. So, uh, chapter 36, verses 1 to 4.